you know me, I think that most rebrands most of the time are a colossal waste of time. Uh, <laughs> this is a frequent rant that we have when yeah. we're sitting around at the bar. We talk about how dumb most rebrands are because <laughs> there's no need for it. It's just like, it's like, I don't know. It's like, the, it's like the new VP marketing shows up and needs to like mark their yeah. territory or something. hundred <laughs> percent. Welcome to The Positioning Show, where we discuss topics related to the practical application of positioning for marketing, sales, and product teams. I'm April Dunford, a consultant, author, and the world's leading expert on positioning for B2B technology companies. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Positioning Show. Hey, I mentioned that occasionally I'm going to have a guest on the show, and so I thought it would be really fun for my first guest to be the amazing Hannah Abaza. Hannah and I have known each other for a really long time. She's a very experienced SaaS marketer. Most recently, she was the global head of revenue marketing at Shopify. So she was there for about six and a half years. Through her tenure, Shopify grew by billions in revenue. She's one of the few people I know that have really experienced a curve of amazing hyper growth. In particular, she ran marketing for the Shopify Plus team, which if you don't know Shopify's product portfolio very well, Plus is the more upmarket offering that Shopify has. In my opinion, Shopify is one of the few companies I know that has done a really masterful job at starting at the low end of the market and moving into bigger and bigger, more enterprise scale deals. Hannah was very instrumental in driving that change. So I thought it would be really fun to have her on the show to talk about how she managed changing the perception of Shopify in the market as they went further up market. How does that relate to positioning? Um, what exactly were the tactics and the strategies that she used to shift that positioning? Um, we had a really interesting discussion about the difference between perception and awareness, which I thought was really smart. And then we also had a little discussion at the end talking about storytelling and uh, is storytelling really just a skill that we're born with, or is that something we can learn? And she's got some interesting perspectives on that too. I feel really lucky to have Hannah on the show. She's not just an amazing marketer. She's also a really good personal friend of mine. And so I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Hey everybody, welcome. I'm super excited to have Hannah Abaza with me on the podcast today. Hannah, how are you? I am fantastic. Thanks for having me. Hannah and I actually have known each other for a long time. Um, like a long time. I don't even know how long since you were the VP marketing at Uberflip. And like for people listening that maybe are not so familiar with the whole Shopify growth trajectory, like, sure. like, like what was it? Where were you at when you joined versus by the time you left? Yeah. Like that was quite a ride. So maybe a little context into sort of why Shopify actually moved in the direction of starting to, to go up market. A lot of founders seem to really want to do that. Um, and the first question I ask them is why? Because sometimes the grass is always greener because you're like fewer customers that have lots of money. Sounds this great. Is, that's a good point. Like, so, like some founders will come to me and they'll be like, we just want to go up market because they, they just have all the money. Like they just have, yeah, I'd like to do them big deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and, like, and my answer is usually like, I want a pony, you know, but I don't I mean, just go get one. You know, I don't, I don't really have a yard for it. Like, how's that going to happen? Well, well, yeah. And I mean, I, I think, I think it is really important to understand like, you know, why and, and what signals 
do you want to actually look for that um, kind of maybe indicate that that's a that's a good idea? In the case of Shopify specifically, I mean, historically, Shopify grew really, really big, really, really fast by focusing yeah. on these like small, small businesses, solo entrepreneurs, etc. Um, and Shopify got really big doing that. And an interesting thing happened as Shopify got really big. Some of those small businesses also got really big and they were no longer these small businesses. And then one of two things would happen once they got to that scale. They would either churn to some kind of like enterprise e-commerce platform. And I, I use air quotes for enterprise and we can talk about that term later, but, um, yeah. or they would actually just figure out a way to make it work on Shopify. So the initial sort of reasoning or positioning for plus was actually more of an upgrade mechanism. It was like, okay, so so how do we actually keep these merchants on Shopify longer? What is the service, the offering, the product that they need in order to be successful? And like, you know, they, like and they weren't necessarily coming off of Shopify because they were hitting limitations with the product, were they? No. Like, was it just a perception thing? Like what the heck was going on? It was partly a perception thing. And it was, I think, like what's what's really interesting is the first iteration of plus i mean there wasn't a whole bunch of product differentiation <laughs> right did i ever tell um, you my story about you know this is before you joined I, I was in waterloo for something and and i don't even know how this happened but we ended up taking a tour of the shopify offices and there's oh, a guy yeah. doing a tour and he says hey this is where plus is and if you don't know what plus is it's basically the same thing as shopify we just <laughs> charge more and I was like, no, no, man, no. I was going to have to work on that positioning. Like, is that really how yeah. 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 I'm not super surprised. That was, um, that was that definitely was before you got there. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. And, and it was, it's actually fascinating because like that, that first sort of like test run of, of plus, it was very much like what every startup does. Let's just throw enterprise on the pricing page and see if anybody does anything. But it was largely around like merchant success management. So, so an account manager is really what they needed because the ones that figured out how to hack together on Shopify were like, oh, okay, cool. There's not really product limitations, but we kind of mm. had to figure it out ourselves. They're probably a little bit more technical. The ones that weren't kind of needed that person to figure out, okay, how do I actually make this scale on Shopify? And, and listen, like there were definitely a few other product things around like APIs and et cetera, et cetera. But um, there wasn't really a dedicated um, effort or team uh, that was building specifically for that segment of the market yet because they didn't really know. And, and it was really focused around upgrades, but a really interesting thing started to happen. And, and this is where it started to sort of signal like, hey, there might be more there. Shopify not only was really successful in upgrading those merchants and actually keeping them on the platform for longer, but started seeing merchants migrate back Amazing. from some of those sort of more enterprisey solutions. Now, I say enterprise, in reality, that was like mid-market at best, mm -hmm. maybe on the larger size of larger side of small business. But the cool part is you're seeing them kind of migrate back. You're taking a look at actually the market landscape at that point. There was maybe one player mid-market that shall remain nameless. That oh, was come on, let's name them. Who are they? Shitty on-prem software. Shitty on-prem software. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's just call it shitty on-prem software. That was really the only alternative, right? Yeah. Either you're doing the shitty on-prem software thing, which was another thing that blew my mind when I started at Shopify. Was um, I started talking to all of these merchants? 
when I started and I, I was, it was mind boggling that they don't really understand SaaS. And like a lot of the conversations were why SaaS is good. And in my head, I'm like, well, didn't Salesforce write an ebook on this like 10 years ago? Why are we still talking about this? <laughs> but, but that segment of the market was like, just they, they, for some reason had it in their head that things needed to be on prem because they were kind of lagging behind a lot of the other sort of sectors of, of the industry. So, so when we looked at that, it was like, okay, so there's like not a lot in mid-market. There's a bunch of super enterprisey, like the IBMs of the world that were like super duper expensive. And you kind of have this, I think, trifecta when you're moving up market where it's like, okay, the alternatives are really shitty, really expensive, and people are buying them anyway. If those three things are true, there is like a, an opportunity there. There is like some white space there. And Especially for you guys, right? Like imagine, oh, you know, imagine if yeah. you had an alternative that wasn't those three things. It's ex exactly, exactly. And that's a big part of it, right? Is like, yeah, the teams were good. The product was evolving. But really, like there wasn't a whole lot there that was in our way in terms of like competitive alternatives at that time. I mean, clearly the landscape has changed a lot since then. So when I joined, it was really like, okay, how do we keep this upgrades engine going? But more importantly, how do we actually now start to shift and have Plus really start to take over this kind of mid-market that we had, um, we'd been talking about? So the rate and pace of growth was um, was pretty, pretty astounding. And I share that not because, hey, look at Shopify, we did so well. More to um, put a really fine point on th that level and rate of growth and how it accelerated, not just in the first few years that we were there, but also sort of during the pandemic, which added like a whole new layer of like, let's accelerate a company that's already in hyper growth. Let's accelerate that even more. Um, that puts a huge amount of stress on the systems and the people mm. and the operations. And when you're already running at that speed, your focus isn't on process and systems and operations. Your focus is on capturing growth. So everything is like always a step or two behind and kind of breaking. And you know what? Your focus should be on capturing growth. But then, you know, it does get to a point where it's like, okay, we need to like back up now and really think about how we're operationalizing things. Um, oh, but, I want to come back to this, like yeah. th this idea of, so you know, you got plus mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, people are migrating off of Shopify because they don't think you can do this mid market, more enterprisey kind of thing. Totally. Um, so, so then you launch plus like, so how do you kind of establish that in the market so that people aren't thinking, you know, this like, how is this different from Shopify? When should I pick one versus the other? Like, totally. um, how did you guys manage through that? Yeah. So that, that I would say was actually the biggest challenge, especially initially as we were looking to not just focus on upgrades, but now actually say to the market, Hey, there's this thing now that Shopify does that it didn't do before. And it's actually good for you. Um, and when, when I initially walked in, I mean, all I did for the first, like probably month was listen to a whole bunch of sales calls um, was talk to a whole bunch of customers. That's my when, favorite. That's my favorite jam. I mean, when I'm new in the thing. All I do is sit around and hang out with sales and listen to sales calls. It's like, it's, it's, literally the best. it's such a hack, but it's so it, like, it works everywhere. It's, it's such a hack. And like, the funny thing is like, they do your job for it. Like the information's all there. You just, it's all there. 
what you need to do is just sort through what's real and what's like noise, right? Totally. Um, and it's always fascinating because there's always like that one or two rock star sales reps where you're like, oh, that's it. And then there's always these like randoms that are like, where's social media, e-commerce, digital, whatever, whatever. And it's just like, what, what now? They're telling like, their what? own little story. Like they get yeah. their own little, their own little story. Well, and because yep. you have to understand that like, before I got there, there was zero marketing team for Shopify Plus specifically. There was Shopify's big growth engine for, you know, sort of the self-serve model where people are signing up for free trial, upgrading, they're really focused on that growth mechanism. But there was zero marketing. Um, and what happens when there's like no marketing, no real sort of positioning figured out, no sales narrative, which I'm sure you're going to want to like dig into what happens? Well, yeah. what happens is sales reps make shit up is what happens. For sure. Like they, they got to fill the void yeah. there. Like, you know, they, they can't say nothing on the calls. They got to say something. Yeah. So and people are giving them. them something to say then. Yeah. So, you know, so you listen in on all these sales calls and then, you know, like did you like, did you start with yeah. trying to tighten up the positioning? Did you like, you know, when, when did you tackle the messaging? Like, how did that work? Yeah. So we only started like the real positioning work um, after we really understood what the problem was. Right. Because everybody had like, oh, here's what you need to do. Like I, I, I did the whole tour of like all the leaders, all the plus leaders, bunch of you know execs from Shopify give me your opinion and everybody had a slightly different opinion and they they all kind of converged around similar ideas but until you actually listen to a lot of the sales calls and a lot of the customer calls and read through a lot of the like contact us submissions and like all of that kind of stuff you don't actually know the problem you're solving all and and what became super duper clear is the problem we were solving for was a market perception problem and I want to be really clear here that doesn't mean brand awareness that's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about because everybody knew who you were. They just didn't know exactly. you were this other thing. There was not a single person that didn't know who what Shopify was. Even mm. those bigger enterprisey and like really more mid market, they all knew what Shopify was. Um, but immediately they were like, nope, Shopify's for small business. You can't handle my scale. Reality is that's not true, clearly. Um, but the sales reps weren't armed with the right um, narrative, the right tools, the right resources to be able to actually combat that. So they would make stuff up and some of them would be really good at making stuff up and they would close a deal and some of them wouldn't. So I think well, I want to like, dig into that. Like, so how exactly like, did you go about shifting that perception? Like, was there a list of things? Was there, you, you know, like, like, like what was in your yeah. toolkit of stuff to do that? Yeah. I mean, the first piece that mattered a lot was really nailing down. Um, so once we really identified the problem, you know, we had to really think about how, how were we collectively as Shopify Plus going to shift the positioning of Shopify Plus? Yeah. And this was conversations in product, conversations with the leadership team, conversations with sales, many, many, many conversations so that we all were aligned with and agreed on, um, you know, how are we positioning ourselves in the market and how are we positioning ourselves relative to the competitors in the market? Do we agree that this is our competitor set? And by the way, one of our competitors was Shopify, right? right. <laughs> uh, like, Just to make it extra spicy. Exactly. Like, why do I pick Shopify Plus instead of this like random advanced plan? Well, I mean, that's something that, you know, until then, 
hadn't been really clearly articulated, right? Yep. So, so it start, it really started with those really fundamental positioning, um, positioning conversations. Um, and then once we had confidence there, that's when we actually started to layer on, okay, this is what, and then the, here's how we're going to start to message this out through all yep. of all of the channels that we needed to message. So sales being the main channel where we started, yep. um, but then you have you have all of these other channels and levers to start to pull in order to do that. the The big thing that we really focused on practically to start to shift that perception, and this was kind of unique to Shopify. Shopify had a really robust, still has a really robust partner ecosystem, and a lot mm-hmm. of those partners are almost like little influencers within the e-commerce industry. Oh, yeah. So how do you win the hearts and minds of those and get them to actually see not just what you are now, but the vision for what Plus is going to build for um, and really start to think about, okay, we've got this positioning. Great. We've got now, I think, you know, messaging that's way more on the mark. Um, But because it wasn't an awareness thing and it was a perception thing, we had to be super, super deliberate about who we got in front of. Like, it was all about that. It's like, how do we get in front of this little nucleus of like those e-commerce people that are loud, that are influencery, that like actually have influence over these decisions. And then we start to like, kind of go out from there. Um, And it takes time, right? Like, you know, this market perception is usually 12 to 18 months behind reality. People got to be patient on this stuff. Like it, and and companies are not like they, like they think they're going to be able to just flip the switch. Like, Hey, we changed the messaging. Hey, you know, we're pitching a different thing, but this stuff moves really slow. Like you got to pick it and stick it. And like really stick it and then grind on it. And people will say, oh, but you know, we're just saying the same thing over and over again. I'm like, yeah, get used That's to right. it. We're going to be saying oh. the same thing over and over again for the next two years. percent, <laughs> And the, the, one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody's like, oh, the website's been the same forever. We should just refresh the website. And I'm like, you think that because you look at it every day. Right. <laughs> like, customers don't think that. Like, unless there's like a like a valid reason to right. shift or change or adjust or add to, like, sure. But um, yeah, I mean, it, like that's 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 definitely one of the pieces that I think is-, is I, think the, I think the marketing team gets bored of, of marketing oh stuff God. at the exact moment know. when it's starting to work. Like, yeah. like, it's like an indicator that it's starting to work. If your team is coming back and complaining, like, oh, we've been saying this forever. You're like, it's just starting to work, people. Stick yeah. it. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, it's really funny. And the reality is, like, you should be, I mean, depending on sort of, like, how built out your marketing function, measure measure that because you will see that, like, a lot of these have more longevity than, than you necessarily yeah. think they do. And it's, you know between between really trying to get in front of the people that matters between um also being uh really loud and disciplined about telling customer stories um because the the like i, I can mean, imagine that customer stories was a big deal for huge. you folks huge, like, huge, huge huge because otherwise how do you prove you can do what you say you can do exactly and i would much rather not tell you and have a customer tell you like right. that that's 
that's it. I'd much rather have somebody else tell you. Um, so that became a big, big part of sort of the machine that we had kind of built out from the marketing side. I mean, a lot of those, you can go to the Shopify website now, a lot of them are there. There's continuously more and more uh, brands being added. So I think that that's a, that's a big part of it too. But like really making sure the team was focused on perception and not awareness. And it's a really subtle difference, but yeah. it's a really important one to drive home. Yeah. Super interesting. What about the sales team? So how did you enable them? Like, I I assume you built a new sales pitch, like, like who worked on that and how did that get rolled out? Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I'm trying to remember now how many versions of the sales. Oh, I love, you know, I love talking about that. I once had one where we had a sales pitch and we, we hit version 200 and we were like, we were like, we've broken some sort of record here. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. on the 200th version of this thing. Yeah. Oh, man. I can imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, on the sales side, like in the very early days, there wasn't much of a team to really build anything out. Mm. Um, so like we kind of were very sort of scrappy and resourceful initially. And we took a version of what was already there because every sales rep kind of customized it. We initially infused like um, a lot of the work that we had done from in terms of positioning um, yeah. to really make it much, much clearer what it is that we were trying to say to a customer. And th- that was that was literally like, okay, this is the stopgap solution, go. <laughs> Um, and, and, and sales were actually surprisingly super bought in because the interesting thing at Shopify is I probably, when I first joined, there was no marketing team. Like there was two people that were working on a blog, really had no direction. I think when I left, my team was like, uh, like 180, 200 people or so. So a huge amount of sort of build that went into not just the plus team, but marketing overall at Shopify. Um, but the really interesting thing is like, I actually had like a whole bunch of sales reps being like, can we have a new deck? Like literally just like swarm, Hmm. uh, marketing, asking for a new deck. And that's actually not that common. That is really uncommon. Like normally what you have is like the reps have a deck and, Mm -hmm. and they're used to it. So even if it's not good, they're used to it and they're like, you know, don't touch it. Cause you know, on slide three, I tell this little joke and you know, it's kind of, if you've ever done a conference talk, right. you got a conference talk and it's all grooved. And so you, they don't want to switch it up. Even, even when they know it's not working that great, they're often reluctant to give it up. So I think, you know, if the reps are, are asking you for a new deck, then, yeah, then what they've got now must be severely broken. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> my I opinion. Like, yeah. And I think, I think it was like, it was funny because when I was trying to kind of decipher this, I'm like, do you want, do you want like a, like a new deck that's going to help you sort of strategically mm-hmm. sell better? Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of them actually wanted was like a prettier deck because you got to remember, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to remember these decks yeah, are made by people. So like they were not that pretty. Um, so, so I think, I think that was part of it. I think probably like once we actually had a little bit more of a foundation, we did revisit it, particularly in the last few years, um, where you know Shopify went through this sort of phase where we actually started to really broaden um, the offering quite a bit. Um, so you mm-hmm. had sort of that core e-commerce offering, um, and then there were kind of all of these sort of e-commerce adjacent pieces that 
worked with it, but were kind of like outside of what a lot of the reps were really um, used to selling. So um, that actually that actually necessitated another visit to like, okay, what like are we rel exactly relative to all of this? And the way we really kind of approached that, um, and at that point there were more people, we had a bit more of a team, Product marketing typically took the lead on um, like pulling together all of the pieces, but it was very, very cross-functional. I think so, the cross-functional part of that is really important. Did you have a sales enablement team? We did, yeah. So mm -hmm. we were looking at product marketing, product sales enablement, um, actual boots on the ground sales reps. Um, they had sort of a, a rep in there. Yeah. Um, the leadership team overall had eyes had eyes on this mm -hmm. as it was sort of evolving. And uh, I remember um, the first time I think it was sort of presented out at like a QBR, um, we had a sales rep present it, right? We didn't have marketing present it because we were working with sales on that. And we wanted, we wanted a salespeople to see a salesperson really present this thing. And then, and then of course, sales and the product marketer and we're like all there to answer questions. But I think it got like a, like applause, like they did such an incredible job. Um, but, but doing it at that scale was challenging, right? Because now you're not just selling this one product and this one thing. Now you actually have a lot of breadth. Now it's more complex. Now reps really need to understand like, yeah, you need kind of a modular approach because like not everything should be in there depending on the customer you're talking to. Yeah. Um, so, did you guys yeah. have like a, did you have like a, was there like a Shopify story and then underneath that a story if you were just interested in plus like, you know, eventually you must have had that because you had all yeah. kinds of offerings beyond the main stuff. Yeah, it, it was kind of one of those things where um, there was, I guess what I would call, for lack of a better term, kind of a corporate narrative. Um, mm -hmm. And then... Um, you know, the, the, the vision is you kind of have for each segment, the value props that sort of align with those segments. Yeah. Um, I, and what I want to be clear about is like, when I say it that way, it makes it seem as though it's just this nice, neat, really clean thing. It's not clean. It was never clean. It was never done. <laughs> um, so, so um, I think that is actually, that was one of the bigger challenges yeah. we had. Um, and actually another really interesting challenge related to positioning, and you'll actually now see it start to shift when you look at Shopify stuff, which I think is a really good shift. Um, and like, it's time for it. But um, previously, you kind of had this like, overarching uh, Shopify narrative that was very focused on entrepreneurs, like very, very focused on entrepreneurs, yes. um, which was right, right thing at the time, in my opinion. Um, and there's a huge entrepreneurship story there and Shopify has done a ton for entrepreneurs. Um, but you can imagine the louder Shopify kind of got with that entrepreneurship narrative, the more brand marketing went in behind that, the louder we were kind of signaling to the market that Shopify is for small businesses and entrepreneurs yeah. and start your store on Shopify. So we really had to be cognizant on the plus side of the house to at least match that narrative. Um, because if you're running e-commerce at some big retailer or some massive D2C brand, and all of a sudden you see a Shopify billboard that says, you know, start your first store online. Well, that, that kind of flies against the narrative we were telling in class. Mm. So we have to really, really- How do you manage that? Like, like, so yeah. 
initially um it was really about creating a bit of separateness right so mm -hmm. initially just to gain that headway um with that market um we kind of had to be like yep that's true that's shopify but we're shopify plus right, right. Um, and plus even like looked a little different felt different when you went and looked at the plus website um and that was really deliberate and and listen like you know me i think that most rebrands most of the time are a colossal waste of time uh, <laughs> this is a frequent rant that we have when yeah. we're sitting around at the bar we talk about how dumb most rebrands are because <laughs> there's no need for it it's just like it's like i don't know it's like the, it's like the new vp marketing shows up and needs to like mark their yeah. territory or something hundred hundred percent and like generally speaking the last thing i want to do when i walk in anywhere is like a quote rebrand yeah but in the case of like plus there's a deliberate like effort to create that separateness and it was still Shopify branded, but like it had this sheen on it, which was, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of a rebrand, I suppose, but it was really in service to changing that market perception um, and to making it clear that like, yep, over there, that's for small businesses, but like this is Shopify plus that you get to be a part of. Yeah, like I think in that case, you know, having very distinct brands is exactly how you get around this issue of like, well, wait a second, you're saying this, but with this, like, yeah. you just have to make them be different. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's interesting now. You know, as I said, I'm I'm not a Shopify any anymore, but I think now, sort of stepping back and looking from the outside, um, I think now as it's scaled to where it is, um, I think you're seeing this really interesting. Uh, and hopefully, you know, this this uh, cohesive story where Shopify is really enabling merchants from kind of cradle to scale, right? And how do you actually tell that full, full story? So mm. whether you're super duper big or whether you're a tiny entrepreneur starting off, um, sort of it's there for you at the time that you need it. So I think that's kind of the direction. Um, at least I assume so as I'm watching and speculating. Yeah, that's, that's what it looks like to me too from the outside. Yeah. It, it's kind of cool. Shopify is such a cool company. One of the things I wanted to have a conversation with you about is storytelling. Um, mm. and it, it's a thing that comes up a lot and, and I've got storytelling kind of stuck in the brain right now because I'm working on this new book that's about storytelling specifically for sales. But sometimes I hear people talk about storytelling in a way that feels wrong to me. <laughs> and so uh, I can say more, be, say more about that. <laughs> I thought it would be fun for us to have a conversation about that. So, you know, I think there's this idea that there is some kind of innate storytelling skill and some people just got it and other people don't. And maybe one way you could fix your positioning is to just bring in one of these, you know, have somebody that's just got it, like this storytelling magic to just sit down and figure out the story. And like, what do you think about that? I'm going to throw that to you because I know what I think about that. Like when I read that, I was like, like I yeah. consider myself a bit of a storyteller. And you know what? I come from a long line of storytellers. Like if you ever met my dad, this is a guy who tells a story and, you know, grew up in a town where like storytelling is an art form. Yeah. But I also like really believe that, that there are inputs to stories Yes. And, and, and there are 
the stories have a structure, like the, it yeah. is a learnable thing, but I don't know. I, I, I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. I, I, um, yes, I also have read stuff online about storytelling <laughs> <laughs> um, and like feel the need to like rage against it. So, so I think, listen, I, I think, um, yes, you have to be able to tell a story in a way that's compelling and that resonates with people to, to make people care. Right. Otherwise they're not going to care. They're not going to remember. They're not going to retain it. Um, but I think sometimes it's used as a um, sort of very surface level way to mask a lack of depth and understanding of what the problem you're solving. Actually oh my God. That's, that's so is. spot on. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, 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 and I see this with marketers, I mean, I see this in marketing specifically. I'm sure it happens in lots of other functions and industries um, where it, it sounds good. The story, the the puking rainbows, which is a thing I know you and I have talked about a lot, where it's like the narrative and the blah, blah, blah. And then it's just like a whole bunch of rainbows that they're puking that sound really good and shiny, but are, are yeah. actually meaningless. Um, and, and I think the danger comes where like you don't scrutinize a story and actually ask a few layers deeper, like, how do we know that to be true? And if you right. ask, how do we know that to be true? Then you get into uncovering what the inputs and assumptions are that actually ultimately sort of culminated in that story. And and April, you know, I've talked about this so much. It's like you don't make up positioning. You don't just make up a story. You uncover it. Like I wish, right? I wish I could just show up and just and just you know you know wait for the magic positioning feeling oh <laughs> to oh come over me and just weave my. Story story around that but like that's, you know, thing. that's just not how it works like i mean yeah. it, like, the story has to be true yeah, and it, the story and it has, has to be, be rooted in what's our differentiated value and guess what figuring that differentiated value out is hard yeah we don't just know it it's not an obvious fact in most yeah. companies i i i i totally agree i think like the um it, <sighs> really peeling down to sort of the substance of what it is that you're trying to do um, is is the root of it. And like, it's not about creativity. I don't care about how creative you are. Um, and and like, yes, again, the storytelling piece is important. Don't get me wrong. But that's the layer you put on top to action all the actual work, right? Um, which by yeah. the way, it's often not done very well, which is why I'm super excited about your book. But um, but but it's the work that's the positioning piece, right? It's not just I'm going to write you a story and here's your positioning, right? Like the like the thing is is like if somebody even came to me and asked me to do that, like mm -hmm. I don't even I don't even I would have this giant list of questions to ask mm -hmm. them before I could even get started. I'd be like they'd be like, okay, you know, work your storytelling magic. Go, Great, okay, so who's the story for? Yeah. And even that question, most companies, if yeah. I went around and asked seven people, I get seven different answers. A thousand percent. Ha so when you're working with your companies, um, mm. like, so it's a, what is the differentiated, you know, what are the differentiated capabilities? Who's it for? All of those things. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you go about getting alignment after you've gotten seven different answers? Yeah. Well, so it's interesting because what we'll get, like, so for example, we'll often start with this idea of, you know, what do we got a position against? 
right? So what is the competition in the minds of customers? Yeah. And different parts of the organization think about competition differently. And, and it's, and it's not everybody's correct. <laughs> and so if I go to the product team and say, yeah. well, you know, who's our competitors? They're tracking people that we compete with right now, but they're also tracking what I would call horizon competitor, like folks we might compete with in the future. Yeah. And they have to, right? Because they're worried about the roadmap and where we're going to be and all that kind of stuff. But if mm -hmm. I'm talking about positioning, like positioning is all about why pick me over the other alternatives right now? Well, if if there's an alternative there that never ends up on a short list for a customer, Mm -hmm. Then they ain't my competition, folks. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about positioning against them until they do end up in a short list. Cause like, like they're just a ghost at that point. Like they're in our yeah. minds, but they're not real. <laughs> and yeah. so, and yeah. so, you know, so product doesn't understand that necessarily until yeah. we have that conversation. And mm -hmm. so in the work I do, we got a cross functional team together yeah. and, and I'll say, well, okay, who's our competition? And, you know, people, everybody's got an opinion. And so we write them down on the board. But then I, if I got a sales team, I can look over at sales and say, those folks, do they ever actually show up in a deal? And sales can tell me yes or no. So yeah. in the case of competitive alternatives, like sales knows the answer to this. Mm -hmm. And and the other folks have opinions, but they're probably wrong. And then we do the same thing with when we talk about differentiated capabilities, like product knows the answer to this. They're tracking the competitors. Right. They know what's differentiated and what isn't. And yeah. sales doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Marketing doesn't know generally, right? So product knows the answer to that. But again, everyone's got an opinion, but, but we got to bring everybody together and kind of hash it out. Yeah. It's what you're saying actually reminds me a little bit, not to go down another rabbit hole, but. Um... Yeah, it's my podcast. We get to do what we like. Amazing. Okay, great. I love this. Um, I live in a world where April is 100% in charge of all the things. Yeah, it's my, it's my house, man. My house, my rules. So, Whatever. So, like what you're talking about reminds me also of like the differences in how you would position your product, yourself, your company for a customer versus a VC. Because oh. I would imagine for a VC, the competitors are on a larger time horizon probably matter a lot because that speaks to the opportunity in the company, right? Um, so, so in that case, you're going to actually position things very differently than you're going to position for a customer. And th that's the thing that gets confused a lot too, is like founders will come in and be like, well, this is what I used to pitch the VC. And it's like right. your customers don't care about half that stuff. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Like for a VC, we get to really lean into the vision. Right. We mm -hmm. get to really lean into like, here's the big vision that all singing, all dancing thing. We're going to be in 10 years. It's going to be amazing. And so our, our current competition, a, a lot of times doesn't actually matter that much for that vision because the vision exactly. in the vision, we're going to be in some other total different market exactly. <laughs> lots of times. Right. Yeah. And so we, you know, and we can pitch that all day. So a VC pitch is often not very oriented around the competitive landscape, at least not today's competitive landscape. So you can get away with just saying, hey, man, world's changing. And in 10 years, all those other companies are going to be gone and we're going to be yeah. the only guys left standing. <laughs> and, it, and you can get away with that. Whereas if I'm sitting across from, you know, a bank <laughs> that's trying to buy something and they yeah. got a short list of competitors, that's not the question they're answering. They're, it's not the question they're asking. They're not asking like, 
what's your big vision? Where are you going to be in 10 years? They might care about that a little bit, especially if the deal is very large, like they want you to be around in 10 years, Mm -hmm. but they're giving you today's money for today's stuff. (laughs) And they got a list of other folks that can also do cool stuff today. And so the the question you got to answer is like, why pick me today over the alternatives today? And that's really different from, you know, again, the way product is looking at this stuff or the way VCs are looking at this stuff, it's really different. Yeah. Yeah. And and to the storytelling, Pete, the story is going to be really different. Also. Story is totally different. Though, different audiences, different yeah. goals, different comparisons they're making, different decisions they're trying to make, like totally different. Different level of understanding of the market too. Like what customer knows how to buy software? Customers, it, like, you know, Nobody. for the most part, right? Like the customers have never bought the thing that you're selling. They've never bought it before. And yeah. so they got to figure out the whole market to figure out why you versus everyone else. So, I mean, if we could do a good job of teaching them, you know, how to think about the whole market, it's much more likely we're going to actually be able to do a deal. VC is a different thing, right? They think about the market in a different way. They're thinking about, again, where, what's it look like in 10 years? And they're really interested in macro trends because this is how breakout companies happen, right? There's some macro trend and how are we going to dig into that? But it, it, but it's a different thing. Again, when I'm sitting across from a prospect that's trying to do a deal this quarter, <laughs> they might yeah. care a little bit about trends, you know, and if you can spice up your pitch with a bit of trend stuff and answer the question, yeah. why do this right now? That's good. But it, we really need to stay focused on differentiated value. Like that's what, that's what customers pay us for. Oh man, a hundred percent. You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hannah, this has been super fun. I think we could wind this up. Um, what's uh, what's next for Hannah? You, you know, where, where like if, if like what do people be trying to hire you? Like, what's what's going on there? What kind of company do you want to work for? Let's make this to get Hannah a cool new job segment. Mm, um, what you looking for? What am I looking for? I I candidly nothing at this very moment. I need to take. I think. Yeah, yeah, but someone could tempt you with something. Oh man, someone could tempt me with something. I think (laughs) the only, the only, um, the only, I think, decisions I've made is I probably won't go super early stage. I kind of like solving sort of um, the problems that come kind of at scale, a little more complex. They're fun. You can make a really big impact. Uh, You've done a lot of that scaling stuff. So that that's kind of a rare skill. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Growth. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the early stage stuff can be fun too, but honestly, I don't think I have it in me anymore. And it's a special kind of hard and kudos to those who are in it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's my next path. I mean, honestly, other than that, I, um, open in terms of like industry, um, or, you know, tech, or there's a lot of really cool stuff happening right now. Um, but, but right now I'm kind of, um, enjoying my sabbatical and kind of having fun doing a little bit of advisory stuff and not really looking for anything, um, beyond that at the moment. That's good. That's allowed. That's allowed. Okay. Yeah. I keep, you know, I keep saying I'm on sabbatical. Um, cause somebody told me that I had to use that word instead of unemployed, but um, <laughs> <laughs> <barely. laughs> yeah. no, I just, well, uh, it's positioning. It's positioning. Yes, yes. 
Exactly. Yeah. I'm positioning myself as <laughs> radical. Either way, I'm super happy doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. So that's it for today, people. Um, listen, this podcast is still new. So what I would really like is if you folks would leave me a review and, um, you know, subscribe wherever you get podcasts and all that stuff or follow along at positioning.show. Thanks very much. We'll see you next week.